Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. All right, we got tons of great stuff here coming up in the GM Shuffle. Of course, Mike's picks are coming up. We got some great games, okay? Chiefs taking on the Raiders, Titans and Ravens, Packers and Colts, a big game on Fox. And also the GM Shuffle mailbag opening that up for a couple of questions from all of you. And yes, NBA draft in the middle of November, right? Let you know what we thought about Daryl Morey getting things done for the Sixers. But we begin with Columbo. Oh, oh, one more thing before I forget. No, not that Columbo. We're talking about the other Columbo. That's right. Offensive line coach Mark Columbo. Colombo, following a nasty verbal confrontation with head coach Joe Judge, is gone. And then this story, Mike, this is perfect. I mean, this is this is what football is made of. So Joe Judge is bringing in another guy, a, a consultant, so to speak, and Mark Colombo flips out and goes, no way, he's irate at the fact that Dave DeGuglielmo is bringing in as a Giants consultant. Colombo doesn't agree with the move, feels he's being undermined, and basically Joe Judge says, all right, you want out, you're out. Now, Plenty of name-calling. Colombo and Judge did not get into a fistfight, as one report indicated, and one giant sports per- spokesperson said, report of a physical altercation is absolutely false in every way. But not that I'm picking sides, Mike. I'm on Joe Judge's side. I'm the head coach. You're the offensive line coach. I'm bringing in a guy. You don't like it? This is the old my way or the highway. No doubt. I mean, like, look, he's Joe Judge is being a boss. You know, as Uncle Junior says, sometimes you make decisions. You know, you you, you do it the, with the the go with your judgment. Some people don't like it. You got to move on, and that's what he did. I, here's let me give you background. So, did Joe wanted to hire Dave to be the offensive line coach? when he became the head coach. He's got Jerry Shaminsky there, the the quarterback coach who was with him in New England. And he wanted more New England guys there. Well, of course, the Clapper became available and the Giants couldn't resist a, a good young Catholic boy from Long Beach, New, Long Branch, New Jersey to come in there. You know, not that he was ever a guru. Not, you know, let's put that out there. But, you know, they couldn't resist that, that guru sensation, right? So, okay. And he demanded to have Colombo because Colombo knows what he's doing. All right, so they acquiesce. And remember, when you when you settle, you typically settle wrong. So they're going on, and everything they do did in Dallas offensively, scheme wise, fundamentals, technique is pretty much way different. Shocking of what they would do in New England. Okay, and it starts with reporting the mic, the techniques of the offensive lineman, the footwork of the offensive lineman, the fundamentals, how to set up the running game. All those things are just two sides. It's like Australia to London. That's how different it is. And people say, well, how could it be that different? Trust me, it's that different. It is. And, you know, it's like I tell people all the time, I spend more time talking to basketball teams and basketball schools and college and pro basketball teams than I ever do talking to any NFL teams about my book because every NFL team thinks they do exactly what New England does. But this is the perfect example of they really don't. They think they do, but they don't. You know, they think they know, but they don't. It's like when Puss says about uh, the, the, the Kolar brothers, you know, he's gone. They think he, they're not sure, right? Remember that scene there? Mm-hmm. You know, he's got his finger out. They know, but they don't know, right? <laughs> they know, but they don't know. 
And it's the same thing with, with, with how New England does things and how it is. So anyway, they hire Colum- Columbo is not doing what he wants. And he and Garrett kind of have their little click. And then everybody else has their click. So Joe wants to get involved. He wants to solve the problem. Because one thing about Joe... Joe is going to take on the issue. Joe's not as scared of confrontation. He's going to take it on. Now, he may not know what to do, but he's going to come in guns a-blazing. He's going to take it on. And he sees it as a problem. He sees his left tackle, who he drafted in the first round, not playing very well. He sees the running game struggling to get yards. So he's going to bring Gooch in to have Gooch help him kind of have, as as uh, Al Davis should say, another set of eyes. Like, give him another guy to kind of look at and help him along. And I'm sure that probably during the season, Dave and, 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 and you know, has kept up on the New York Giants team. And he kind of knows what's going on because he almost had that job. You're certainly going to watch football and pay attention. So he brings them a familiar face. Colombo goes berserk. He goes, he goes fucking crazy and, 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 and all of a sudden acts like he's like, it's like it's his way or the highway. And he found the highway. I mean, he's working in a building that believes teamwork is essential. And as soon as he's challenged about not being a good teammate, he quits. He goes berserk and starts to do that. Like, that's just a total lack of understanding of A, the chain of command, and B, not being aware. So, like, if you're a coach coming out there, you, are you going to hire Colombo Because if he's going to do it his way, not the way you want to do it. You're hiring his way. Like, let's just put his name on the fucking team. <laughs> All right. Devil's advocate, Mike, in favor of Colombo. he's saying, hey, the Giants have rushed for more than 150 yards each of their past three games. So you're all of a sudden making an adjustment where I think my offensive line is pretty good. Do you at least get his sense of maybe why he felt aggrieved? Yeah, you could certainly see it because if you're just basing it on results, they've improved. But you've got to look at Andrew Thomas not being better. You also have to look at the way the quarterback gets hit, how they set. Like, it's Joe's program. He wants the program to resemble how New England does it. Because that's what Joe knows. You know, this is we repoint the mics in the run game. We reestablish the mic. It's why they have success running the football. Their run game approach is dramatically different than most teams' run games approach. You know, I've been with North Turner, and North Turner's run game approach is if we didn't block that guy, well, the back's got to make a miss. You know, where he's not accounted for, he's got to make a miss. Sometimes players just got to get you out of bad place. Well, that's not how they do things in New England. They don't ever say, well, you just got to get us out of a bad play that's just not how it is. I'm not saying Norris wrong and they're right. I'm just saying that's how it is. And so, you know, I mean, I've had this conversation with ex-players that have been on in, in both and they all know that, you know, it's a little bit more buttoned up in terms of how they do it. And, and I think Colombo, frankly, the lesson to learn here is you can't change somebody. What happened to Joe Judge is the same thing that happened to us in Cleveland in 1991 and 92. We, we kept Hal Hunter who basically we couldn't get him to change the fundamentals and techniques to support the new, the Cleveland way. So Bill had to make a change and fire the coach. It's the same thing that happened. And no matter how many times you tell coaches, look, you're better off training somebody than retraining, they don't want to pay attention to it. And so they get caught up into this, well, we got to have a guy that have experience. No, you have the guy that will do exactly what you want him to do and how you teach him. So now he gets that with Gooch and Colombo. You know, in fairness, is, well, look at what I've done. I've did this. No, it's not about you. It's about what the head coach wants. Uh, it's well said. We've actually obtained, I mean, this is incredible work by producer Joe Engelbrecht. We've obtained 
audio of their argument. Take a listen to this. Do you happen to know your IQ? Mine, sir? Oh, no, sir. No, they took it in the Army, but they never told us. I'm certainly not in your league, sir. <laughs> I mean... By the way, on the topic of Columbo, I didn't get a chance to watch this. Joe also sends a clip. A Peter Falk roast of Sinatra apparently is amazing. I mean, nothing like old school Columbo. Just one more thing. Yeah, I mean, it's just one more question. It's always one more thing. How about those roasts? I mean, seriously, would they even be allowed on television today? Oh my God. They're so seriously. offensive at every level. They're insulting everything. Like everything you can't do today, which is taboo, racist, sexist, gender orientation. Those roasts, everything goes. And then, listen, when you're roasting somebody, you got to be savage, right? I mean, it's like, and nothing's off limits. I mean, nothing is off limits. I mean, and, and everybody's laughing and having a good time and- you know, I'm not saying it was right, but, but I'm just saying, actually, they put that on television and they actually sell these roasts. Do you ever see that? I mean, how about that? They sell the roast and you can buy like six years of roast, although it's going to take six to eight weeks for delivery. <laughs> I love that one. Six to eight weeks for delivery. Like who the fuck's got six to eight weeks for delivery? Seriously, who's got that? The, the Dean Martin Celebrity Roast. Yours to have now. Eight VHS cassettes, $29.95, six to eight weeks for your first delivery. You're like, what? What year are we in right now? Now those are the best. The best. I mean, look, can I, can we just can we just get off topic one quick second? Since you're our ESPN expert, could there be a worse production of the NBA draft than what ESPN does? <laughs> could there be like could I nominate them for the worst production of a draft? You know all the bells and whistles of ESPN, and to your point, you're like, okay, there's Reese. There's Jay Will, there's Billis, there's another guy with a beard, and then they make the pick, and then the kid's crying, and uh, here's the reporter interviewing him, and that's about it. Like, <laughs> very bare bones for ESPN. I thought this was so good. Somebody tweeted this out the other day. Is An ESPN producer basically says... Uh, he says, yes, Brianne Brewster, congratulations on your dream, on, on achieving your dreams. Has anyone important died in your family? Oh, like Jesus. that's like, like seriously, <laughs> they, they want to highlight that. Like, like seriously, like, is it the worst production of anything you've ever seen? Meanwhile, meanwhile, on Twitter, Wojo is, 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 is tipping off every pick. The TV's 75 minutes behind. It's like, it's like, can't they just put Wojo in the room with somebody else and just say, okay, well, Woj, let's call it Woj Unplugged. Get Wojo Bobby Marks in the fucking room. Let those two guys go off and start talking about it and just go. And, and like, like, seriously, uh, I mean, was, was Jay Williams going to perform at the, at the La Costa Lounge with that outfit? He's got that high turtleneck on. Like, was he, was he Tom Jones in that outfit or what? Like, seriously. Uh, Jay Williams trying to bring the turtleneck back. The best was, you're right about Woj. He just loves St. Bonaventure. Anytime he gets a chance to talk A-10 basketball, you know he's getting fired up to talk about the Bonnies. He's unbelievable. I mean, it was, anyway, I didn't mean to get off on that subject, but I know we were talking about Joe Judge, but to me, I would be I would be curious to know, like if you sat there at the Worldwide Leader and you said, how could we make this better? Like you're going to run out of paper writing shit down on to figure out how they're going to make it better because there's a thousand ways you could have made it better. <laughs> I'm not even attacking the, the, the commentators because who, who wants to pay attention to the commentators? Like who cares? Here was a part of the challenge. You're right about the who cares. The fact that there was no March Madness 
He didn't know a lot of these guys, right? All due respect to college basketball, Mike, not a lot of people, well, let me rephrase it, a ton of more people watch for March Madness, obviously. So when the regular season, which by the way, is about to begin next week, the amount of people who watch college hoops from late November to end of February is whatever percentage. The amount of people who watch college basketball from March 11th, which is when the pandemic hit, everything got shut down, to April 4th is extraordinary. So, so many of these guys, normally you're texting your buddies, you're talking to your buddy Bill going, hey, remember this kid, he was terrific in the in the Sweet 16. Oh my God, remember this kid, he was awesome in the Final Four. We didn't have that. So all these names that I was watching, I'm like, who's this guy again? I'm like, wait, was he drafted high? You didn't have that March Madness experience to, to, to talk about it, right? Uh, no, and, and I mean, we're sitting there blind. I mean, you know, it's like we're just dying. I mean, like literally I watched I literally watched I, after I, I after I just got tired. I went to Millie and I turned on the Queen's Gamut, and I just looked at my phone just to see what the picks were coming in. That's all. Like seriously, they made it so that I could do two things at one time. I watched the Queen's Gamut, which is one of the great shows on television. You got to have you seen this yet? I haven't. The amount of people are telling me to watch this, and I, I responded to my buddy Rob Lemley. I said, "Listen, I'm just not into that uh, era." He goes, "What do you mean with that era?" I said, "I don't, you know, I don't really watch uh, the Queen or that kind of stuff." He goes, "No, no, no, dude, it's not about royalty. It's about chess." I said, "What?" I said, "I love searching for Bobby Fisher." He goes, "The Queen's Gambit is about chess, and you are going to like it. You love it. I mean, it is. It's like wasn't Sean Connery in that in that chess movie too? Remember?" we played in that movie too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you'll love it. It's great. It's tremendous. And the, and the scenery and the settings are perfect. I mean, it's really well done. The writing's outstanding. And, you know, it's really good. And before we go off back on the football and pick some games, you have to explain to me the last episode, and if anybody hasn't watched Fargo last Sunday, oh my God. like they went black and white. They went all Wizard of Oz on me. Like I, I, I was confused the whole time. <laughs> it was definitely a very artistic episode. And we didn't get any of the major characters. Like you were just focusing on Rabbi and Satchel and it was just about their journey. That scene with the tornado was unbelievable. Like I wasn't exactly sure what it all meant, but I'm like, man, these special effects. And then- I thought it was a dream sequence. Yeah. I thought Tony was going to be on a horse. <laughs> hey, you're in that bending, right? Teeth keep falling out. One of the great episodes ever, the test stream, if you haven't seen it. All right, last thought on football, football, then we're going to take some picks. Let's just bury the clapper a little bit on this because as you said, Mike, the clapper, like Colombo is hired because his former boss is Jason Garrett. So I just want you to put yourself in the brain of Jason Garrett right now. I know that's a scary place, but what is the clapper thinking right now? He vouches for Colombo, right? You're, you're part of the crew. This is a friend of mine, friend of ours, because this is a friend of mine. And now you go, no, no, you're out. We don't want you. Like, what do you think Jason Garrett's thinking right now? I, I think Jason Garrett's got to say to himself, look, this isn't probably the right place for me. You know, this quarterback isn't really good enough. They're going to expect me to make him good enough. I'm not going to become a head coach, you know, from here. I don't think this is the right fit for me. And I could see at the end of the year them having a a, a decision that basically, look, it's probably just not going to work. And frankly, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work because Joe's going to need to hire somebody that understands the methodology behind what they do, or else he's just going to have to do what Brian Flores did and just give it to somebody like Chan Gailey and let him run it from soup to nuts. And then that means you got to get rid of all the ex-New England people. Like Jerry was down, Jerry Shemensky, he was down with, with Flores in Miami, but he had to leave because they made that radical change that Flores just went completely away from the New England methodology. Remember, Flores fired his line coach in the offseason and Gooch came in to replace him. I mean, so this is like repeating itself. So if you're Garrett, like if they post a number, uh, if you see this anywhere, will Jason Garrett be the offensive coordinator of the Giants next year? You know, whatever the number is, bet the no. 
bet to know. Because it, 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 for Jason Garrett, really, if I were advising Jason Garrett, I said, Jason, you, you, this isn't going to work for you. This is not going to work for you because this isn't really set up for you to have success. As always, all roads lead to the Sopranos. This is like if Joe judges Tony, he brings in a guy. Imagine that Jason Garrett was Furio. I don't know, let me bring in another guy. And they figure out, no, Columbo, this guy's a giant stonad. This guy's a giant waste of my time. Get him out of here. And that's why Columbo is now hit the walking papers. When we come back, we're going to preview some Week 11 games, all right? Mahomes is trying to avoid a season sweep by the Raiders. The Saints begin life without Drew Brees, plus two questions from the GM Shuffle mailbag. All that more after the break. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Mike, listen, you made this very clear last week. Picks are not going great, all right? Last week, you were 17, 15, and 1 against the spread. You had a bad week, but you've learned from that bad week, right? I hope so. You know, I mean, you know, you got to dig in and you got to try to hopefully improve. But I, I mean, I went back and watched it. I, I, and look, you, you know, when you're doing this, you're going to make some mistakes. You got to take your swings. You got to you got to admit you're wrong. I was wrong. And you got to come back and have a better uh, objective and understand that. I think the one thing I, I really have to, I think you have to give some credence to, and I put this on my on my power rankings, is teams that are playing well. Like Miami's playing good right now, you know, and even though they may be, you know, one point with 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 the Chargers. They're playing better. Like like the Dolphin Bronco game this weekend. Uh, the look ahead line was a pick 'em. Now it's Dolphins minus three. You know, so that tells you the Dolphins are playing well. You know, the Packer Colt line was minus two favor of the Packers. Now it's minus one and a half Colts. You know, look at the Eagle Brown line. The, that look ahead line was minus two. Now it's going to go up to four. The Browns are playing well. The Eagles aren't. So I, I, I got to take that into more account and really pay attention to that. All right. Fair enough. So that's what it's looking like. Uh, by the way, check the most up to date betting lines by using the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Absolutely fantastic and phenomenal. The Chiefs are eight and one. The Raiders are six and three. And you say, okay, is the Raiders six and three fool's gold? And yet Mahomes and company trying to avoid a season sweep against the Raiders. They're on the road facing Los 
Las Vegas. I know the Chiefs are favored, but could you imagine, Mike, Las Vegas pulls off the win and beats KC for the second time this year? Yeah, I, I can't imagine it. Andy Reid coming off a bye is pretty damn good. You know, and the Chiefs, and here's where I think that the Raiders defense has gotten away. Like that game last week, when you watch it, Denver was not very good. At, and actually, Drew Locke was really poor. They turned the ball over. This is going to be a really hard game. The Raiders quarterbacks in the fourth quarter since week five have a 63.9 passer rating, second worst in the NFL, you know, and the Chiefs in the fourth quarter only allow a 77.6 passer rating. So that's one of the best in the National Football League. So this game, if it's going to be close, it comes to the fourth quarter. I think the Chiefs are on the pry. I think the Chiefs are going to come out with their really wanting to send a message to the Raiders. The Raiders did that celebration. You know, Andy Reid talked about it. That's never good. There's there's a little bit of resentment, I think, between the two. Look, everybody pretends, you know, Andy Reid and John Gruden are friends. Love you, bro. Love you, bro. You know, there's a lot of competitive juices between the two guys, right? I would not say that they're the best of friends. I'm not saying they're enemies at all. But I I know there's not a lot of, you know, there's... There's that, I want to outdo the other guy. They're both on the same staff at Green Bay. I think Kansas City shows everybody how bad the Raiders' secondary is, and I think it's going to be a hard game for the Raiders. All right, I completely agree. I would be stunned if they could pull off the victory. Who knows? But trust me, the way the Chiefs are rolling right now, Mahomes has got nine touchdowns, by the way, his last two games, so he has certainly been rolling for Andy Reid and company. Next game to talk about is the Tennessee Titans at 6-3, and three, and the Baltimore Ravens are 6-3. and three. There's actually six teams right now, Mike, in the AFC that are 6-3. and three. You do the math on this, two of those teams ain't going to make it. Maybe it's Browns or Raiders, maybe it's the Titans, maybe it's the Ravens. There's a glut of teams right now at six and three. Baltimore's offense could not get on track against Belichick and the Patriots. I know it was inclement weather, raining all the time. I got it, but 17 points they put up. Now you face the Titans. They've got their own injury questions as well. We don't want to get into clowning and all the rest of that nonsense, but what do you think? Titans and Ravens in Baltimore. Well, look, I, I think, you know, so what I try to spend this week on was trying to figure out what's wrong with the Titans, right? And like trying to understand you know, why are they not playing well? Where where it happened to the team that I thought had the explosive offense in the beginning of the year and where have they gone? And, and what's hard, Mother? And when you break them down, really what's happened to them is their inability to really uh, throw the football effectively. I mean, in the last four games, they've averaged just under seven yards per pass attempt. They've had six plays of over 25 yards, right? And 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 they've lost three of the last four games and they've only had one turnover. You know, and so they just have not been able to make that explosive play in their passing game. I think Lawan's injury has really hurt them. You know, their defense isn't very good, but yet the reality of the situation is, is their offense hasn't been explosive enough. Now you go back to that wild card game when they when the Titans won twenty eight twelve. You know, the Titans run for two hundred and seventeen yards in that game. They only throw for eighty three. You know. And then when you go back to week six of the season in 2018, you know, that's the Matt LaFleur was coordinating the offense for the Titans. This is how he became a head coach. They were one for 10 on third down against the Ravens, and they had 106 total yards in the game, 106 total yards. And so I think this is a game where Tennessee is struggling on offense. And Baltimore, if they have Campbell back, got to check the injury list. But I think that's why. Now, for Lamar Jackson, I think really at the end of the day, Lamar Jackson's offensive line has let him down. He's been sacked 23 times already this year. I think he was only sacked 23 times all last year. And here's the number one reason why I think Baltimore's offense is struggling. Last year, last year, 
they were the best team in the National Football League in not allowing negative yards. They only allowed 240 negative yards all of last year. So negative yards consist of sacks, tackles for losses, you know, those kind of things. Anything behind the lines, a, neg- a negative play. Negative plays kill offensive football. Last year, they were the best team in the league at only allowing 240 yards. This year already, they've allowed 202. So they are behind the eight count. They are behind the eight count in down in distance, and that affects them. And then you add in the fact that their offensive line isn't very good and they struggle. That's a real problem. That that becomes an issue. And they're gonna have to get this, they're gonna have to get this worked out. You know, for me, I, I think this is a really close game. The line right now is, according to DraftKings, the line is. I have it at five and a half, and I think it's soon it could come down to five. I think it's going to be moving in Tennessee's direction, which is what I would, which is what I would favor. But you never count out the the Ravens, especially coming off a bad performance. But Tennessee does have the does have some things going for them in their favor. They can run the ball the way the way that New England did against them. They'll turn, take the New England game plan and follow right into it. And the Patriots certainly did an impressive drop, slowing down Lamar Jackson and company. Lamar Jackson just hasn't been able to go vertical. You look at the numbers; he's not putting up big passing yardage so far this season. Which brings us to Fox's big game Sunday at four twenty-five. You got the Packers taking on the Colts. I mean, this is a huge game for any. Indianapolis national TV audience. You're six and three. Packers are seven and two. The Colts. We know their offense is inconsistent, but their defense got a bunch of so-called no-name guys. But guys who have stepped up. Their defense right now, Mike. They allow. 290.4 total yards per game. That's the fewest in the NFL. I wouldn't think we'd be sitting here week 11 saying, hey, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers got a big test against that Colts defense. But that's what it looks like on paper going into this one. Yeah, I mean, the, the Colts are three and two in the last five games, right? They've only, they, they've they've been really good. They've had 11 sacks. Five of them came against Detroit in that game. They've had zero plays allowed in the last two weeks of over 25 yards. So you don't, you don't get big plays, right? Yeah, they've been really good on third down. They're 33 of 71 on third down on defense. And they're eight and 23 the last two weeks on third down defense. So, you know, they have been really good. The question mark in this game is, can Rivers make plays in the passing game? Is Rivers going to be able to do things in the passing game? The Colts are 24 for 60 on third down. You know, they've had six turnovers in the last five weeks. So they're not just really, they're not turning the ball over. They've only had six plays of over 25 yards. Their offense has struggled. And for the Packers, you look at the Packers the last two weeks now, you know, they have been really good. That win game up there, but over the last five weeks, it's really kind of remarkable. The Packers are also three and two. They've given up 125 points. They've allowed 123. They've only, they've not turned the ball over very much. So this is a kind of a game that goes back and forth. To me, I think I favor the quarterback. I mean, this line opened up. Green Bay was the favorite, and now Indy has become the favorite. And typically when that's happened with Indy, They've lost. So another big game for Phillip Rivers to prove he still has it. We'll see. I would take the Packers myself. Going in, Falcons and the Saints. Now, Atlanta's been a different team. Uh, Chris Berman called Raheem Morris Radio Raheem. Great reference to Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. As Radio Raheem's getting it done right now with the Falcons, they've won three or four since he's the coach. The Saints are seven and two. The big story here is Drew Brees. So multiple fractured ribs. We're talking five 
fractured ribs, and a collapsed lung. Like only in football do you hear collapsed lung. Eh, it'll be a couple of weeks. That, that's the projection right now. Could be three weeks. Luke Johnson of the New Orleans Times-Picune, he said at least two weeks. But point is this, Mike. You've talked before about Kamara for MVP. If the Saints keep winning, this will bolster Kamara's candidacy for MVP. More to the point, defenses played better. We saw that game against the Buccaneers. And now at the quarterback position, I know you've been fond of Taysom Hill, but Jameis Winston going to get his chance. Famous Jameis. This guy had 30 turnovers a season ago. If he limits the turnovers, Jameis Winston knows these three games are huge for him as he looks to try to get back to being a starter somewhere in the NFL, whether it's in New Orleans or elsewhere. This is a really big game for New Orleans. No doubt. You know, in New Orleans, you know, they're 5-0 and the last three games, the last five games. They've played really well. Two of those three wins came in overtime and won by three points. And then they had the two blowout games, which we saw them destroy the, the Bucs. And the 49er game last week was a lot closer. I think they had 237 yards. They started drives basically all in San Francisco's territory, but they have played really complimentary football. Kamara didn't practice today. So this is going to be a game that I think you got to really be careful of on Sunday. I agree with you, AD. This is Jameis Winston's chance to prove that he can, he can lead a team that if he doesn't turn this ball over, you know, they've only had five turnovers in the last five games, right? So they, they've, been really, they've been really good with the football and they've, they've, played it, they've played well. And when you break this game down, now New Orleans is three and one in the last four games with the Saints winning, with the, with the Falcons winning last year, 26 to nine in, 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 in New Orleans. And then they came back and lost by eight in Atlanta. So these games, typically the scores have been, the, the Saints have won by nine, won by 14. They've lost by 17 and they won by eight. One of those wins came in overtime, typically close games. I think the line's a little out of order. We'll talk more about it, but I do think Morris deserves to be considered for the head coaching job. He's done a really good job. They're three and two, the last five games. He's cut down on their turnovers where they've been really good is on third down. They've only allowed 21 conversions on third down out of 58 attempts. And they've cut down on the passing. I mean, the first three weeks he was there, they were up over eight yards per attempt. And now the last two games, they're well below seven. So they're doing a much better job covering in the last two weeks. Which brings us to one more game to talk about, and that's the Eagles and the Browns. The latest story in the Eagles now, people are criticizing Carson Wentz, saying perhaps he has poor practice habits. They got three of their receivers in the COVID list, and the Browns have a good defense, obviously led by Miles Garrett. They've been running the football. Again, Mike, feels like a huge win for the Eagles, but I can't possibly take Philadelphia on the road against Cleveland. Well, you know, it's funny. I keep saying how the Eagles' run defenses you know, can get good, but the Eagles' defense has been really, their run defense hasn't been very good. The last five weeks, you know, they're, they're two and three. They've given up 136 yards rushing to Pittsburgh, 182 to Baltimore, 160 to the Giants, 133 to the Cowboys, and 131 to the Giants again. They haven't played good run defense. They can't. They haven't been able to play good run defense. And actually, they've given up 762 yards rushing to 932 passing, and they've only created six turnovers. This game sets up perfectly if you're the if you're the Cleveland Browns because you get an opportunity to run the ball, right? And then you're playing against a team that refuses to run the ball. This is maddening, AD. Think about this. The Eagles in the last five weeks have averaged six yards per carry. 6.05 per carry. And they average 6.46 passing. And yet they're one of the least amount of teams that run the football. And they're one of the highest teams in throwing the football. You know what that means? They do zero self-scouting. Zero. Because if you're running the ball this effectively, two of the biggest plays of the season have come from running game. Boston Scott last week and Miles Sanders against Pittsburgh. They're their biggest plays of the year. They're running the football, and yet they refuse to run it. 
So to me, this is a tough one. We got to check weather in Cleveland. Once again, Cleveland's had some really bad weather games going back there. And it's been challenging for them. The other thing is, look, Carson Wentz has struggled mightily this year. Against the Blitz, he averages under seven yards. He's gotten attacked tremendously. His percentage of completion is down when he gets pressure, and his quarterback rating goes way down. It's going to be interesting to see how he holds up. The Brownies, you know, look, the Brownies, they know who they are. They run the football effectively. They win because of their backs, and they win because if they protect the ball— and their backs run the ball, they can find ways to win games. Yeah, if ever there was a game that you go, hey, the Browns, they got this one in the bag, and you go, well, if they're the Browns being the Browns, then somehow they'll find a way to lose this game. But yes, on paper, they're 6-3 and three Eagles at 3-5-1. and one. When we come back, we're opening up the mailbag. Different defenses affecting older quarterbacks. Do not go anywhere. All right, time to open up the GM Shuffle mailbag. As always, go to thegmshuffle at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear from you. Question one, Mike talks about older quarterbacks having trouble versus faster defenses that force them to move laterally. For example, Phillip Rivers looking horrible versus Baltimore, but then Mike correctly predicts he would look okay against the slower Titans. Does Mike have a list of fast and slow defenses that he can give us to better predict how older quarterbacks like Rivers and Brady will perform week to week. That is from Richard. You know, the, the best way I do it is I think, you, you know, obviously whatever team creates turnovers is got it shows they have speed. I mean, teams that are fast on defense usually create turnovers. And you see that, you often see that in, in the stats of creating fumbles. Like when you go to the stat page and you look at a team's stat page, like uh, you, when you do the season stats, they'll typically always show you like Detroit's a slow defense. They have too many slow players on the field, right? And, you know, they've only recovered three fumbles all season, right? They've The ball's been out 10 times. They've only recovered three of them. So they, they just never create fumbles. They never get the ball out. Whereas Pittsburgh, which does have a fast defense, they can get the ball out. And so you just kind of see it. You know, you can see what they do. If Pittsburgh's recovered six, six fumbles already. Uh, you know, they get the ball out more. They create more turnovers. They've had 11 interceptions. They've created 11 fumbles. They've gotten six of them. So they get the ball out way more. And that is an indication of how fast, like the Colts to me are a fast defense. And and the other way you look at it is yards after the catch, right? So that's another way you look at it is, is when teams are really good at creating yards at, or stopping yards after the catch. And because they tackle right away, they rally to the football and there's no, there's no leeway to get any yards moving forward. So that's kind of how I break it down. Turnovers and yards after the catch, which gives me an indication of what they can do and how they close it down. And most of the time, and this is a golden rule for me, is when you see the, the, when they're inside linebackers, like New England's defense is slow. And one of the reasons they go smaller is because their defense is slow. So they get faster guys on the field, you know, and that helps them a lot, but they get smaller. Like, and, and that's one of the things, like like when you just go by yards after the catch on receptions, you, you'll really see what team is really good at that, in that area. A little bit of yak goes a long way. Uh, second question here. My favorite line from the Sopranos is nostalgia is every man's weakness. Great one. I loved hearing Lombardi talk about the Steelers and Cowboys uniforms from last week. I heard Lombardi say the Lions were a great organization to work for in the NFL on Hammer Dawn. Can you elaborate on that? Overall, they must be one of the poorest run franchises in all of sports. How can you evaluate it differently? 
Thanks. That's from DK. DK, I think that's a lot of people's perceptions. And I think the problem is, is the way I see it is their sense of loyalty is is bad. And, and if you're a Lions fan, it's hard for you to accept that that's a good organization. But if you work in the league, is their ability to be loyal to people is somewhat remarkable. Now, they've been misguided, right? But they have given people enough time. They've given, they gave Matt Millen a ton of time. They gave Tom Lawan and Martin Mayhew a bunch of time. They've given people time and they haven't been, you know, they haven't come in and meddled with the daily work. They basically give you budgets. They work it, they run it like Ford Motor Company. You get a budget, you get to do what you need to do, you know, and, and you're, and they give you enough rope to either hang your, which sometimes is way too long. I think where they're bad is in the decision-making. They listen to the league office way too much. They, they, they rely on people that don't know and they don't know. So you could say, well, Lombardi, that makes them a bad organization. Yeah, it does. But eventually they're going to hire the right guy in that company. And then when they get the right guy, they're going to be able to win for a while because I think foundationally they have a good program. And like you said, they've always been good people, friendly people, kind people. It doesn't necessarily equate to a winning organization. That's the situation there for Detroit. One closing thought, the NBA draft, you already gave a hilarious description of your spins production values. How about the actual draft belonging to your Sixers? Listen, I, I know a buddy of mine here in North Jersey is a huge Sixers fan. He goes, you realize the Sixers backed into this. Like, they don't know what they're doing. Hey, Doc Rivers is available. Perfect. Hey, what are we doing? Daryl Morey's available. Perfect. He goes, now you got Doc and Daryl, two smart, savvy guys, and the Sixers agree to trade Al Horford to the Oklahoma City Thunder for Danny Green as part of the deal Philly's sending the 34th pick Wednesday night's draft, lightly protected 2025 first round pick. What do you make of the move of the Sixers trading Horford to Oklahoma City to get Danny Green some three-point shooting? Well, I think, look, they could have given us salami sandwich and they took Horford. I, I feel bad for Horford. It was just the wrong fit, right? Horford still can do some things. I think people in Philly have given him a hard time. But what I what what I what I text out the other day is basically as Uncle Junior once eloquently said about the old lady, the homeless woman with the Virginia ham under one arm complaining she don't have a loaf of bread. Right? Like we got rid of Horford's contract, right? We got rid of his contract. That opened up complete flexibility. Now I hear there were other teams that were interested in Horford. They almost made a deal with another team in the East that 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 got turned down, but they got rid of Horford's contract. That was huge. And it, whatever they took back for it, whatever they got back, two salami sandwiches, you know, an all-day spa selection, whatever they got back, they got away from the money, which in the NFL and in the NBA is more critical sometimes than what you get back. They had to pay to get out of it. They paid a high price. They paid a two twenty five, uh, two two twenty thousand twenty fifth first round pick just to get out of that contract. That's a heavy price, and it's lottery protected one through six. But that doesn't mean they're not going. If it's eight, they're still getting a hell of a player for them. You know, and so they gave up a lot because you got to give up a lot to get out of a bad contract. And I and I applaud them for it. And look, the one thing I think, and I bitch about this all the time. I do think Maury understands the difference between collecting talent and building a team. He's finally decided we need shooters. So he, you know, he trades for Steph Curry, uh, Seth Curry. He trades for, uh, you know, Green, Danny Green. So he's trying to find ways to fit the pieces that all work together. Again, it's not collecting the most talent. It's about fitting the pieces that that work the best together. And, and I give him credit for doing that. Like I said, he's a bright guy. He's very decisive. And I think you're right. I don't think he's learned from mistakes, but he's learned what he's done in the past. Why didn't things work out in Houston? And by the way, how about the Western Conference? I mean, Clay Thompson, are you kidding me? You know how bad I feel for that guy? An Achilles tear, Mike? He missed last season and now an Achilles tear. He's going to miss back-to-back years. The dynasty 
dynasty of the Golden State Warriors is over. This is why in life, you have said this to your kids, you're going to teach this to your grandkids. Hey, savor the, savor the good memories, right? Because they are fleeting. The Warriors had this great run and it's over. It's done. Durant's gone. Clay's going to miss back-to-back years. Steph Curry's turning turn 33. That's how quickly things change in the NBA. That's how quickly things change in life. No doubt. I mean, and you've got you've to capture. That's why, you know, some of these deals, when you have a moment to go on, you have to. And, you know, I just saw on Twitter today, Lou Holtz, you know, one of the great, he, you know, one of great Lou Holtz's lines. I love it. You know, they asked Lou Holtz about get ready to play a good team. You know, like if Lou Holtz was coaching Notre Dame to get ready to play at USC and, and Lou, Lou would say, you know, it's funny. I slept last night just like a baby. I was up every hour crying, you know? And so, you know, he's got COVID today. So this world that we see is comes fading fast and you better capitalize on your moment. Yeah, it's, it's, it's totally true, man. And it's like for all those Warriors fans right now, reflecting on these great memories, to quote Tony Soprano in season six, remember when is the lowest form of conversation. On behalf of Tony and Columbo, thank you for listening to the GM Shuffle. As always, support us on Twitter and Instagram, M Lombardi NFL, Adnan Esberg, and the GM Shuffle. We will talk to you on Monday. And by the way, Mike's picks, latest picks available Sunday morning. We'll talk to you then.